Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Nine thirty-two a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the sixth of March, twenty twenty-three. This is episode six hundred and eighty-three of Bitcoin, and I put out the word, and you guys responded. Wow! Thanks, guys. Thanks. I appreciate this. Uh, last show. It was either last show or the show before. I had mentioned that I was number 14 in the Fountain.fm charts. If you're not using a modern podcast app like Fountain.app or, well, Fountain app, not dot app, Fountain app, you're missing out on a lot of fun. You're missing out on being able to support the people that bring you their hard work every day, sometimes every week, sometimes just a couple of times a week, but they're still producing content. And you guys would be able to take a hold of that content and stream Satoshis or boost directly to your favorite content creator. I Right now, it's mostly podcasting, but I think that the value for value model is getting getting some legs on it, brother. It's getting some legs. So I I get the feeling that we're going to start seeing this uh, value for value, the ability to stream sats, the ability to boost content spread out across all kinds of different platforms, you know, video, audio, you name it, man. It's it's all coming. It's all coming. So I asked for y'all's help to get me out of the doldrums, to get me out of the swamp that was not in the top 10. Anything out of the top 10 is kind of the swamp. It is getting into the swampy regions. And you guys answered, I have been number nine I am back in the top 10, ladies and gentlemen, and that was because of you. It wasn't anything that I did. I do the show the same way that I do the show. I do, a, but I, I, I edit the show. I record the show. I've got everything set up for the show. I don't have like anybody else helping me out with this show, right? All the, I select the content. I read the content. I do all the editing. I do the mastering. I do the uploading, I make the show notes. It's like it, and the and the artwork for every single show is generally different. I don't like the thought of having the exact same logo for every single every single show because I I don't know. I just I feel that it's important, so I do that too. So this is this is literally when somebody says, "Oh man, that's a one man show," you're listening to it right now. So when I put out the word to get some help. And you guys answered and got me into the back into the top 10 on the charts. I, there was nothing I could do. I, I have no control over that. I can't select my chart space, right? I can do everything else. I can make the show and I can do all that stuff, but I can't do any of this. I, I can't chart myself. And uh, you guys actually, actually did that. I am now number nine. Ain't exactly the top spot, but I ain't outside of the top 10. 
So who who am I bit, beating? I'm beating bit by bit, bowl after bowl, living up in a down world, which is actually kind of surprising because living up in a down world is fairly big one. Uh, Scott Horton show, uh, all Jupiter broadcasting. Ooh, what Bitcoin did? I'm even beating what Bitcoin did. Who am I not beating? Rabbit hole recap, Linux unplugged, Curry and the Keeper, podcasting 2.0, Bitcoin Audible given to you by Guy Swan, Citadel Dispatch, which is clearly, you know, Matt O'Dell's other show. Rabbit hole recap is Marty Bent's show. And then he added uh, Odell to it, I think within the same first year that he started doing rabbit hole recap. I remember rabbit hole recap back in the day when uh, Marty Bent had at least done two montages. And if you have no idea what the hell I'm talking to, you got to go listen to the first episode of rabbit hole recap. Uh, or act, actually at the time it was, well, it's still TFTC. It's still tales from the crypt. And then he added Matt O'Dell and that became rabbit hole recap, but it was under the TFTC banner. Go listen to the first episode. Maybe the, I think the first three episodes have montages in it of tales from the crypt to understand what a montage is. And it blew my mind. He's, he hasn't done one since. He's threatened to do one. So uh, y'all give him some ribbon and say, and if you like the montages, which I did, uh, rib uh, Marty into giving you another montage because those were, those were super cool. I also am, am not being, uh, I'm also not beating no agenda. Well, duh, of course. And decentralization total un podcast de Cardano. Oh, for God's sakes! I'm beating. I'm being beat by a Cardano episode. Really? I no, no, no. I wish I had never seen that. It doesn't matter. We got boostograms because this is how y'all made it happen. Bit happens with 108 sats. That's bit happens 1331. And this is interesting. I, I love. I love astronomy. The moon can be dated up to 300 million years older than the Earth. The moon's isotopic ratio suggests possible extrasolar origins. The sun is 108 Earths wide. 108 suns fit between the Earth and the sun. And 108 moons fit between the Earth and the moon. Out of the roughly 150 examples that we have in our solar system, no moon is greater than 5% mass of its host planet or moon. And our moon is 27% of the Earth's mass. Now, I haven't vetted any of this. I, I haven't. I'm going to go ahead and, and lay over my trust to Bit Happens 1331. If you're confused by what he said about the moon's isotropic ratio suggests possible extrasolar origins, what it means is that the moon somehow or another was not formed by the same dust cloud that formed the earth, because that's how planets form, that it was a capture body, which means that the moon came in from somewhere else and got captured by the earth's uh, gravitational well and became firmly and permanently implanted into uh, as our moon, uh, but it wasn't actually from the same material. And he's giving evidence of that by saying that the isotropic or isotopic ratios are different from the, you know, the material that makes up the moon versus the material that makes up the planet Earth. And an isotope is something like carbon-14. 
you know, carbon 12 is what we're normally dealing with. We have 12 protons and 12 neutrons inside the nucleus of a carbon. But if you bombard that shit and you make it slightly radioactive, you get an isotope called carbon 14. So if all, and there's a whole bunch of different kinds of isotopes and those ratios, this is what's called ratiometric study. Like if you have like a soil sample from the earth and it's like, there's 10% carbon 14 in that soil sample. And you take that soil sample, you take soil samples all over the planet and you get an, let's say you get an average of 7%. And I have no idea if these numbers are correct. They're, they're probably way off the ball. This is just for modeling purposes. If you get like an isotope ratio of, you know, 7% carbon 14 to um, was 93% uh, carbon 12, that's your ratio. And let's say that that's an average over all like 5,000 soil samples from every continent on the face of the planet. Now let's say that we have several soil samples from several different sites on the moon, but the carbon 12 to carbon 14 ratio is much higher or much lower then yeah, that would suggest that was that the material that makes up the moon is not the same material that makes up the earth. I find that fascinating. Again, I don't know if any of that is true. P Tar with the striper boost, 7,777 sets says chart booster boost. Thank you, P Tar. Fatoshi, 221 sats says, weird you can't reply to your own boosts on fountain. I just realized the last comment has no context. It sounds like the new and approved mixing tool from ETH uses zero-knowledge proofs to verifiably attest to the fact that your outputs from the mixer weren't derived from criminal inputs maintained in a blacklist. The idea of blacklist is dumb if you think about it, which Bitcoiners did. The fact that ETH is still thinking about them shows their naivete and eagerness to comply. Oh, they are eager to comply. That is absolutely uh coin laughs with 169 satoshi says thanks david you rock thank you coin laughs here's another one from fatoshi oh man blacklist in eth how is that not censorship you can zero knowledge it all you want but who controls the list the tech is cool but the way it's being used here is antithetical to Bitcoin. Absolutely. That was with 222 Satoshis. With 22,222 Satoshis, Fatoshi comes back, slaps me in the face with, I didn't know you graduated from the school of Bitcoin Uncensored. What a great show. <laughs> what were the rules again? One, I'm dumb. Two, you're dumb. Three, markets are efficient. Four, cheapest pair of pants. You can explain a lot using those rules. The first question to ask a shitcoiner innocently is, what is a blockchain? Comedy will follow. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> 210 sats from Joseph Joey Joe. Says Ozark Beef Initiative, Prairie Grove, Arkansas, Saturday, May the 6th, 2023. Todd Wheel has the best beef in Northwest Arkansas. Okay, he's announcing a beef initiative. Okay, it's the Ozark Beef Initiative. So if you're close to Prairie Grove, Arkansas, and you're going to be there around Saturday, May 6, 2023, Todd Wheel, spelled W-E-Y-L, is apparently going to be there, I guess. And he has the best beef in Northwest Arkansas. And this is the, no, this is Nick underscore Dose with his usual cheers and 369 sats. Blizza with Boost. And that comes with uh, 200 sats, I believe. Is that the last one? Nope. I've got another one from Letters, uh, 6173 with, holy shit, 50,000 Satoshis. Holy crap. 
Uh, haven't been in many parts of the world with good internet lately. I'm downloading all of the missed episodes and listening offline. Thank you for all the great hours. Yeah, I would rather not be doing anything else than this show. <clears throat> Which leads me to help me stay in the charts. And the way that the charts work for Fountain.fm is literally by boostograms. Now, I'm not sure if if the Fountain people add the streaming section, like because I get sats from the show uh, in two ways. One, people listening on Fountain or, you know, another podcast 2.0 enabled app will stream me Satoshis on a per minute basis. Like I, I get like 24 sats from, you know, some person per minute while they're listening to the show. And if they listen to the whole show and it's 90 minutes long, do the math. So I don't know if those particular Satoshis, the streaming Satoshis are part of the calculation for uh, charting, but I do know that the boostograms are. So if you want to help me stay in the charts, I don't want, and here's the thing. I don't want it to have to be way, you know, just all on the shoulders of a few people, which means that in, like you have a choice. Could, should I boost this guy to get him into the top 10 or should I send uh, the, like the link to the Bitcoin and podcast on fountain.fm to one of my friends Who's in, who may or may who may be interested in listening to Bitcoin daily news? That's just as viable. In fact, that's actually I was about to say more valuable, but I'm never going to say anything is more valuable than you hitting the boost button. But if you can't do it, if something's weird, then consider spreading word of the show out so that other people can pick up the slack and stream satoshis and do smaller boostograms. Because I would rather have a hundred thousand small boostograms than one huge, massive boost. It makes more sense to me that way. Now, you want to do some news? Let's start with, let's start with Elon's favorite shit coin, which he basically took a giant dump on. Dogecoin drops 10% on the week as Elon Musk turns his attention to artificial intelligence. I'm reading this because it needs to demonstrate the fickleness of billionaires that people look up to and hope and pray to like they're gods to boost their bags. Don't ever do that. Decrypt.co, Andrew Asmakov. <clears throat> the price of Dogecoin bark, bark, is down another 1.7% over the day and almost 10% on the week, dropping to a two-month low of 7.3 United States pennies, according to data from CoinGecko. The world's largest meme coin last traded at these levels on January the 8th amid the resurging crypto market, which essentially, or rather eventually, took Doge to 9.8 United States pennies at the beginning of February. Since then, eh, it's been mostly pain for the asset, except for a short period in mid-February when Doge surged more than 10% uh, in the course of four days on the back of Tesla CEO Elon Musk joking that he was talking to Rupert Murdoch about Dogecoin at the Super Bowl. Musk later posted a picture of a Sheena, Shiba Inu dog uh, posting at a desk or posing at a desk at the Twitter headquarters. And he says Dogecoin. And that's the only thing that he says in his tweet, which was done February the 13th. Musk has been one of the more vocal supporters of Dogecoin, often influencing its price and his, with his tweets in the past. His February Dogecoin post had only a brief bullish impact on the coin as it slipped further down. 
adding to the overall negative sentiment. Musk last Friday stunned his followers, saying he is now turning his attention to artificial intelligence. Quote, I used to be in crypto, but now I got interested in AI, tweeted the billionaire, instantly crashing the price of Dogecoin. Here's another tweet. Quote, I used to be in crypto, but now I got interested in AI. Oh, well, it's the same one. So whatever, bad formatting, my bad, my bad for not catching that. In a separate development of events, Morgan Creek Digital or Capital Management Chief Investment Officer Mark Yusko launched a stinging attack on Dogecoin saying that meme coins don't have any value. Quote, the speculative nonsense like Dogecoin, why does it even exist? I mean, my mind hurts. And I said the bear market would be over when Doge is zero. (laughs) Whoops. And I want to stand by that, but I can't because stupid people are going to be stupid. Yes, exactly. Yusko ranted during a YouTube show with crypto analyst Scott Melker. Despite the latest slump, Dogecoin today, yeah, whatever, flip Polygon, Polygon's down, nobody gives a shit. And that's the end of the article. Now, I know the promise of this show is that I don't, I don't, hammer you guys to death with, with shitcoin news, because honestly, it's, there's not a whole lot that's there, but there's something here because it speaks to the influence of a single person over a single entity. It doesn't have to be a shitcoin that, that Elon Musk or somebody else that has some kind of influence uh, can boost or kill or move sideways just with a single tweet or whatever, right? And this has always been, this has been more and more the case. And we started really seeing it coming, yeah, coming up through into the uh, 2017 uh, bull cap and then the subsequent, you know, plunging price of Bitcoin. We saw influencers and, but, you know, they weren't like heads of companies. They weren't, you know, heads of state. They weren't anything like that. They were just you know, people like BitBoy Crypto. I mean, come on, the, the, the insanity of that entire time. And we, we kind of thought there was potential that there, that kind of shit would dry up. Uh, no, it didn't. Which is why I now know what, or now, now know, I've known forever what Mark Yusko has now finally figured out. The price of Dogecoin is never going to zero. And since Dogecoin is your shitcoin indicator, None of these things are ever going to go to zero. They should. I mean, if anybody was, you know, if there was enough people on the planet that was ethical, but there literally only needs to be two people trading a shit coin that are completely unethical to have a price positive of zero for any of this stuff because they're trading it back and forth and therefore the market smells some kind of price discovery. For all the people that are out there that are wasting their time, like Mark, who says, what what do you say up here? The, he has an entire sentence about this, the speculative nonsense like Dogecoin. Why does it even exist? I mean, my mind hurts. Yeah, well, I've been there for a long time. Mark, welcome to the party, pal. I, I don't know what else to tell you. Don't trust these people. Don't trust influencers. Even if the if the influencer in question is all about Bitcoin, immediately don't trust them. If the influencer is all about some shit coin, hopefully you don't even listen to what they're saying because you're not following shit coinery. And I know I just followed shit coinery, but there you go. Now getting into, well, let's just do it. Tether used fake documents to open bank accounts. 
according to a report from the Wall Street Journal. All right, so I'm still hoping maybe that Wall Street Journal isn't completely captured, but they probably are. But maybe, just maybe, they have credible, you know, intelligence that this is the case. Let's find out more. Matt DeSalvo, Decrypt.co. Tether's troubles continue. According to a Friday's WSJ report, Companies backing the world's biggest stablecoin used fake documents and shell companies to help its parent company get into the banking system. The journal cites emails and documents to claim that the company behind USDT, the most traded cryptocurrency, went to extraordinary lengths to stay connected to the traditional financial system and open bank accounts. Citing an email, the Wall Street Journal reported that one major Chinese trader tried to, quote, circumvent the banking system by providing fake sales invoices and contract contracts for each deposit and withdrawal in quote Stephen Moore one of the owners of Tether Holdings Limited admitted Moore then decided to drop the backer claiming it was just too risky according to the WSJ the Wall Street Journal also said it had seen documents showing that Tether used problematic third parties that used, quote, hundreds of millions of dollars of seized assets and connections to a designated terrorist organization, end quote. Pausing to say one word, FUD. I, is it? I don't know. This is bad, though. And it's, it doesn't have to be true. It just has to be what is the perception and how far through the ecosystem system does that perception carry? Continuing on, it added that the United States Justice Department is currently investigating Tether. I'm at the Plan B anniversary in Lugano, Switzerland, so much energy and people excited to talk about Bitcoin. While I was on stage, I heard some clown honks. Pretty sure was WSJ. As always, a ton of information and inaccuracies. Poor guys. Must be difficult to be them, but need better media, says Paolo Arduino. Yeah, of course he's going to say that. Why? Well, let's figure out. Tether said in a Friday statement that the WSJ report was wholly inaccurate as well as misleading. Quote, Bitfinex and Tether have world-class compliance programs and adhere to applicable anti-money laundering. Know your customer and counter-terrorist financing legal requirements, the company added. Tether's business is minting UST, the third largest cryptocurrency after Bitcoin and shitcoin number one, with a market cap of $71 billion. USDT is the most traded digital asset. As a stablecoin, a cryptocurrency backed by a stable asset such as the US dollar, people use it to quickly enter and exit trades without using a traditional bank or fiat currency. Tether is particularly popular in markets where dollars are restricted or unavailable and in DeFi, which seeks to disintermediate banks. Yeah, right. Stablecoins like USDT streamline the process of turning Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency into dollars, euros, or yen on an exchange. But Tether has long been a controversial company. It has yet to provide documentation to prove that its stablecoin is backed by U.S. dollars and the entity is not independently audited. In 2021, Tether agreed to no longer do business in New York after a two-year New York Attorney General investigation found that it had made false statements about the backing of its stablecoin. Yeah. So we've heard all this before, right? Um, 
But W looks like Wall Street Journal is really doubling down. And the thing about, here's the thing. If everything that the Wall Street Journal says is true, then it's very, very bad for Tether. If none of what they say is true, it's very, very bad for Tether because it's the perception of the news and the perception of the veracity of the news that matters because honestly, ladies and gentlemen, we have people that actually think Dogecoin has value. And some people think that Dogecoin no longer has value because some twit with a billion dollars up his sleeve says he's not interested anymore. That's the fickle nature of the majority of humankind. And I hate to say it, but it doesn't matter whether this shit is true or not. People are going to take this. I mean, who's, I can't remember the guy's name that hates Tether, Bitfinexed, as in he got Bitfinexed. Hadn't seen that guy around in a while because I haven't been on Twitter in a long time since they booted my ass off. But he is definitely going to take this ball and run with it, won't he? And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. So this is just bad for Tether. Now, here's what I'm going to say about that. I hope Tether burns. Do I hate them? No. I don't have a problem with Palo Arduino either. I mean, I've never met him. I don't have anything against him. I don't necessarily have anything against Tether, really. What my point is, is that we have this chance right now to continue the big burn. And what do I mean by the big burn? I mean, burn it all down. The shit coinery, the stupid ass exchanges, the casino that is cryptocurrency. None of this stuff makes any value. Most of it makes no sense whatsoever. It's just trading. So when they say stuff like, let me see if I could, if I, did I remember to highlight it? Yeah. USDT is the most traded digital asset. As a stable coin, people use it to quickly enter and exit trades. What trades? They're trading Bitcoin for shitcoin number one through shitcoin number 5,068 because they think that they're going to get some alpha out of it. They're going to be able to buy low and sell it high and then rinse and repeat until they have a Lambo. There's no value creation here, ladies and gentlemen. There is none. And if the only use case for USDT is to enter and exit trades, then it needs to burn down with the rest of it. Now, I'm not that stupid. I get that Tether is also used for things like remittance. From that standpoint, we already have Bitcoin. Kind of don't need Tether, but I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. And it would totally suck if Tether completely burns down, but there's other stable coins out there. But I'm hoping that the fire does not extinguish itself until all this garbage is burned to ash. Because what happens after a massive forest fire? An explosion of life. And it will be, yes, some of that life, actually probably a good, well, a good great guts and feathers of it is going to be a new round of shit coinery. And I understand that too. I'm just saying we need to burn out all this old dead wood. It all needs to go. And if they want to take Tether down with, you know, with if the DOJ wants to kill Tether 100%, I don't care. And honestly, neither should you, but that's for you to decide, not for me. Bitcoin Magazine takes us further on, but this time into the world of mining. And this one's written by Frederico Rivi, I think is how you pronounce it. 
why Bitcoin mining needs Stratum V2. I really hope this ex explains Stratum V2 a little bit better than some of the other explanations that I've heard. Bitcoin mining within everyone's reach. Household appliances, wearable devices, such as smartwatches and smart glasses, all capable of mining with specialized microchips. This is the future that many Bitcoiners hope for. While such a scenario might not be so far from the reality that awaits us, today we are still in Bitcoin's Genesis chapter and the reality is not yet as Antonopoulos predicted. In fact, mining is centralizing. Last month, Foundry USA coordinated 35, 34% of its hash rate alone. If we add Ampool, whose share is 18.2% of total hash, we now have 52% of Bitcoin's global computational power in the hands of just two mining pools. Pointing out the problem with this centralization recently was the well-known Bitcoin developer, Peter Todd, who said in a tweet, not good, we really need miners to move off Foundry to smaller pools. <laughs> Bitcoin is dead. Mining is over. They will regulate Bitcoin. Censorship will come. I, I can hear you already, but we should remain calm. To understand what the implications are and what the solutions are, we need to take a step back and review the concept of pool mining. Would you rather receive $100,000 once every five years or $20,000 once per year? The answer to this question by most explains the emergence of mining pools. In the long run, the payout is the same. What changes is the frequency with which the payment is received. In a highly competitive environment like mining, this is crucial. It can determine the survival or bankruptcy of mining farms that, regardless of the change in the price of Bitcoin, have to keep the machines running by paying for electricity, as well as any loans taken out to purchase hardware or other expenses. A mining pool is a server, usually run by a company that unites mining farms and individual miners located in different areas, pooling their compute resources and combining them as the product of a single team participating in the competition that is Bitcoin mining. The high compute power that is coordinated by the pools makes it possible compared to the slim chance of the individual miner to win the proof of work competition more frequently and to redistribute the reward to all of the members in proportion to the compute power that they provided. So let's, let's, let's take an example. Running a mining farm that produces 0.025% of the global hash rate, an activity that today entails a multi-million dollar investment, probabilistically, probabilistically, whatever, allows the miner to write one block of the Bitcoin blockchain in every 4,000 blocks. Considering the average rate of one block produced every 10 minutes, this means one block reward earned per month currently worth 6.25 a Bitcoin. With the same compute power available, however, one can choose to join a mining pool that controls, say, 25% of the global hash rate. Statistically, the pool is likely to mine one block in every four or one in every 40 minutes. <clears throat> The mining farm that has decided to join is remunerated in proportion to the compute power that it provides, so it will always bring in the equivalent of one block per month, but being paid on average once every 40 minutes. More commonly, pools pay the reward once per day to reduce <coughs> on-chain fees. Joining a pool makes the future more predictable as the payouts, though not necessarily being any higher than in solitary mining, are more frequent. The first pool came into being 
in 2010 under the name of Slush Pool, now known as Brains Pool, and since then the model has depopulated. As described above, much of the compute power of the network is now in the hands of pools, which inevitably constitute centralization points. So what is the current state of mining and what are the risks? The rise of Foundry USA on February the 15th, 2021, Foundry USA pool coordinated 0.98% of hash rate. Two years later, the figure rose to 34%. What happened in the interim? Foundry is a New York-based company wholly owned by Digital Currency Group, one of the world's largest crypto investment funds. Among Foundry's various activities is mining which is carried out by its Foundry USA pool business, which has become the de facto benchmark for United States institutional mining. It is no coincidence that Foundry's growth coincides in part with the Chinese mining ban May of 2021. As widely reported at the time, many of the miners fleeing China fled to Kazakhstan as well as the United States. One of the favored destinations has been Texas, which is now considered one of the most favorable areas in the world for mining, not least because of the friendly regulations. In a recent interview, Gabriel Vernetti, a mining researcher and Stratum V2 developer, told Bitcoin Magazine that most of the miners located in Texas are under Foundry's banner. I, that's interesting. There could be another reason behind the American Pools ride, the massive investment in new ASICs at the time, the bull market between late 2020 and early 2021, when many competitors could be more focused on profit taking. In September of 2020, for example, Foundry had signed a partnership with ASIC manufacturer MicroBT to provide priority access to new M30S ASICs to its institutional miners. Several months can pass from the purchase of an ASIC to the start of its operation, particularly at a time when chips are unavailable. So, when the new hardware is ready to be put in operation at the end of 2021, what happens is that Foundry USA gains a large share of the market. It goes from 8.5% in October of 2021 to 19% in January 2022, for instance. So, what are the dangers of this mining centralization? Why is it a problem? that Foundry USA coordinates 34% global hash? Because to date, although the pool's compute power is provided by a vast number of different mining farms, the candidate blocks are built by the pool. It is the pool that decides which transactions to include in the block. This introduces a point of vulnerability that could lead to two problems, censorship of transactions or addresses and a 51% attack. The latter can have two purposes. The 51% attack can serve as a denial of service, an intentional mining of empty blocks that slows down the network by preventing transactions from being approved. With 34% of compute power, this would be probably every third block being empty. And number two, double spending. Cancellation of a transaction made by the attacker and placed in a recently approved block via a blockchain fork. The threat is made possible by the current protocol that is used by miners and mining pools to communicate with each other, and that is Stratum V1. However, we know that the solution is, and its name is, Stratum V2. At the moment, Brains Pool, Foundry USA itself, and a team of independent open source developers are working on it. The latter group includes Vernetti. 
Is there a possibility that, under a hypothetical United States obligation, Foundry USA could start censoring specific transactions? Quote, on a technical level, it could happen, said Vernetti, but for how long? The longer the censorship lasts, the more time miners have to realize this and start shifting their activity to other pools. This is because censoring implies the loss of commissions. So a miner has an economic incentive to move to a pool that collects those commissions instead by avoiding censoring transactions. The Mara Pool Precedent A relevant precedent in this regard dates back to May 2021. The pool controlled by Marathon, Mara Pool, had decided at the beginning of the month to only mine blocks with OFAC-compliant transactions, thus censoring addresses blacklisted by the United States Treasury Department. The uprising of the Bitcoin community and the fact that no other miner followed suit caused Marapool to turn around in less than a month. At the end of May, Marathon wrote in a press release that it would no longer filter transactions. The danger of censorship, therefore, seems to be minimal and, in any case, easily resolved in a short time. So how likely is a 51% attack led by Foundry USA instead? Quote, the moment of denial... Sorry, the moment a denial of service attack was launched, i.e. mining an empty block to slow down the transaction approval process, everything would be visible on the blockchain, Vernetti said. Quote, then, immediately, the miners would redirect their hash rate to other pools. This is because with no transaction fees, each miner would receive less money for their work. The miners would have a direct incentive to provide the hash rate to another pool, an operation that takes only a minute. If Foundry USA started mining empty blocks, in my opinion, it would lose half of the hash rate it coordinates within one hour. Further quote, perhaps a 51% attack aimed at double spending is more worrying, he continued. On a technical level, one could attempt to double spend even with a lower hash rate, but again, what would the reason be? Because it is true that Foundry USA is seen as a U.S.-controlled institutional pool, but it's still a business. Its economic interest is to make the network work as well as possible. A double spend would undermine Bitcoin's status as an immutable network, and I imagine that it could cause its price to collapse almost immediately. The counter-incentive would consist of perhaps $1 trillion paid by the United States to carry out such an, att an attack, which, of course, I guess they could print. So the solution to this problem, Stratum V2, the risk of censorship and the risk of a 51% attack by mining pools will be eliminated once a new communication protocol between miners and pools is extensively used, Stratum V2. The protocol allows each individual miner to build its own candidate block, removing this power from the pool. The pool will therefore not be able to exclude blacklisted transactions from a block, nor will it be able to write empty blocks or attempt double spending transactions. The responsibility for writing the block is shifted from the hands of the pool to those of all of the miners. Stratum V2 is already implemented by Brainspool and is periodically tested by Foundry USA itself, but the vast majority of the hash rate is still coordinated by pools using Stratum V1. What are the incentives that will lead pools to ad adopt Stratum V2? What will lead them to voluntarily choose to lose control over block construction? Quote, the other two fundamental characteristics of the Vatim Stratum V2 protocol 
security, and performance, answered Vernetti. Quote, security, unlike Stratum V2, or unlike Stratum V1, Stratum V2 is an encrypted protocol. It does not allow the hash rate hijacking attacks that are possible today. In these attacks, the hacker gets in the way of communications between the miner and the mining pool, takes the proof of work that the miner produces, and pretends to be the author of those proofs, instructing the pool to send the reward to him. This can't happen with Stratum V2 because the communication is encrypted and therefore the proof of work provided by the miner to the pool is not visible to outside observers. This is the first incentive. With such security, the pool can attract more miners than those that do not offer this guarantee. Performance. The communication between a miner and mining pool in Stratum V1 is human readable. It's in ASCII code, for God's sakes. In Stratum V2, on the other hand, communication is completely in binary. This small factor increases performance because the conversion time from human readable character to binary is saved, so more packets of information can be transmitted in a given time frame than in Stratum V2. This is important because being able to provide more proof of work can be decisive in winning the race to write the block. Improved performance is a competitive advantage. Okay, so I've been waiting on Stratum V2 for a long time to be widely implemented, and it is still not widely implemented. That's okay. Uh, you know, given what they were saying uh, about the, at the very last, why would somebody move to Stratum V2? If for no other reason, it's for security and performance. Performance, I guarantee you, is going to beat security. Just that little, that little twick of, go, of, of taking the information transmitted from ASCII code to binary code automatically increases the performance because the ASCII code was going to be converted into binary code anyway. You might as well go ahead and just do that before any of this crap actually gets processed. If you, this way, the miner isn't responsible for also doing the conversion of ASCII to binary. If it's already coming in as binary, you've, you're already ahead of the game. And then there's the whole security aspect. So I, I don't think that, I, I'm not worried about a 51% attack. I'm just not. I haven't been worried about a 51% attack since that whole uh, S2X or SegWit2X debacle got cleaned up. We were about three, four months outside of that on the other side. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to have to worry about this stuff anymore because that was a brutal attack on Bitcoin. And it wasn't even a, it, it was, it had a mining attack vector inside of it, but it was even more nefarious. It was the large, in my opinion, it's still been the largest attack on the Bitcoin network that was ever executed. And none of the people that were involved with it, I think, understood that. So it was really stupidity that put Bitcoin in danger and not premeditated nefariousness, if that is even a word. What I'm getting at here is that, you know, I don't think you guys really have to worry all that much about this stuff. Okay, so be of good cheer. Don't worry about it. And we'll move on. <clears throat> this is probably going to be a longer show. Bitcoin Magazine, Rita Brata Santra, that's a mouthful, has this one also about mining. How Bitcoin mining is adapting to the energy transition. 
I bought my first Bitcoin in 2016. I was a college sophomore and it was my second year living in the United States. As I was acclimating myself to the new way of life I found myself living, I came across an article on Bitcoin. I had saved up some money from my on-campus jobs as someone who saw the devaluation of my parents' hard-earned money. The value proposition of Bitcoin was immediately clear and I made the second biggest mistake of my life. I bought a Bitcoin off of Coinbase for $1,500 instead of mining and cold storing it. If you're wondering what my biggest mistake is, two months later, I got an internship in Germany. So I sold the Bitcoin to buy myself a ticket to Berlin. And six months later, one Bitcoin was worth around $16,000. Yeah, we've all done that. Okay. If you haven't done that, I'm not sure if you can consider yourself lucky because that is a painful lesson that will burn the value of Bitcoin into the back of your mind forever. In fact, even after you die, your soul will probably go to heaven going, I really shouldn't have sold that Bitcoin. <laughs> One of the many things that stood out in my new way of life in the United States is the reliable access to electricity. Growing up in India, I witnessed how a lack of energy impacted health, knowledge, and opportunity. Today, developed economies consume as much energy as 12 times the average in some of the developing economies. There's over 900 million people who do not have access to electricity, but we flare enough gas every year to power an entire sub-Saharan Africa. In other words, we burn enough gas to provide energy for millions of people without creating any economic value, and we do not have the necessary technology to profitably transport the energy where it's most needed. I believe that the energy trilemma, the need to balance energy, reliability, affordability, and sustainability is one of the great challenges of our lifetime. We need to eradicate energy poverty and meet the additional demand of energy from emerging economies while actively decarbonizing to reach carbon neutrality. Okay, bullshit on the whole carbon aspect of this, but let's continue. Bitcoin mining serves as a medium for capturing the wasted economic potential of excess energy resources, accelerates otherwise expensive but innovative renewable development, and therefore sits at the center of solving the energy trilemma. Trend number one, when Harry met stranded Sally. Innovative monetization of stranded or excess energy resources will create positive economic opportunities and drive Bitcoin mining's growth. Every energy producer, regardless of the carbon intensity of the energy that they produce, has to deal with surplus energy, which cannot be monetized. As hydrocarbon production increases, reservoir pressure drops, and producers inadvertently end up producing gas, which is often costly to transport, and therefore do not have a choice but to burn or flare it. In fact, according to a recent article, the amount of gas flared globally is equivalent to Europe's total natural gas import from Russia before the sanctions imposed over its invasion of Ukraine. According to the IEA, we need to curb the gas flaring by over 90% to meet its net zero target by 2030. Well, who gives a shit about the IEA? I didn't fucking put them in power. Sorry, sorry, sorry. As shown in the figure below. <laughs> Similarly, renewable generators would often have to curtail their energy production to match the demand from the grid. And in the absence of a battery, that often means wasting the energy. <clears throat> Many energy producers lacking capabilities in Bitcoin mining are partnering up with Bitcoin miners to efficiently monetize otherwise wasted or stranded energy in the absence of transmission infrastructure, you know, like gas pipelines and stuff. 
Oil giant ExxonMobil has already started a pilot project with Crusoe Energy to mine Bitcoin. Similarly, renewable giant Nextera and Bitcoin miner Marathon run a joint facility in King Mountain, Texas. Perhaps the only thing better than a joint venture is a vertically integrated mining company. To minimize some of these uncertainties with the energy price and availability, we are observing Bitcoin mining companies who own their own energy production source, i.e. they produce and use their own energy by cutting out the middlemen. Examples range from companies owning natural gas, such as 360 mining and canary mining, to hydropower like Bitfarms, to solar energy like Viable Mining, and many others. While there are previous instances of Bitcoin accelerating otherwise expensive firm renewable energy, such as OTEC, development in the United States, we are more likely to see similar instances in countries with favorable Bitcoin mining policies. For example, El Salvador, which currently produces over 50% of its electricity from renewable energy, has huge geothermal energy potential as shown in the picture below. Currently, there is a huge push from the El Salvador government to develop these geothermal resources for sustainable Bitcoin mining. Trend number two, software. It's eating the world, especially the mining world. The specialized optimization software category could be an attractive investment for investors hesitant about capital-intensive infrastructure uh, companies. Because, or sorry, Bitcoin mining is a highly efficient capital allocation mechanism and as close as it gets to the invisible hand of the free market. In the past year, several Bitcoin mining companies such as Core Scientific, Celsius, Compute North, and Butterfly Labs declared bankruptcy, while a couple of others like Argo Blockchain and Iris Energy were on the verge. The price of energy and being able to efficiently capitalize on the energy demand of the grid have a huge effect on the operational profit margin of a Bitcoin mining company. This problem creates a need for energy optimization and efficient usage. I have created a separate category in my market map for companies which solve these optimization problems for Bitcoin miners. Additionally, some mining as a service company like Lancium offer a bundled software solution to manage compute mining operations as well as optimize energy usage. But building the infrastructure for Bitcoin mining is a major investment and involves risk due to the volatility of the price of Bitcoin and the cost of energy needed. To de-risk these investments by diversifying their offerings, many mining-as-a-service companies are building data centers for low-latency computing. With the astronomical rise of cloud computing, the demand for latency-agnostic compute has significantly increased in the past decade and is projected to increase by another 10% year-over-year until the year 2030. Mining-as-a-service companies are well-positioned to build data centers as this resonates with their existing capabilities of building efficient compute infrastructure solutions, thereby significantly increasing their total addressable market. Trend number three, the Swiss army knife of decarbonization. Pausing to warn everybody, I do not believe that carbon is bad because if it was, God would probably have picked silicon to make life out of. Guess what? Carbon is the most valuable of all the elements on the periodic table. Prove me wrong. With its tetravalent ability 
which means it can it has it has four bonding sites. One carbon can bond to four different things, right? You've got a Lego set. You have an infinite an infinite amount of chemistries that can be produced. And you need that. Otherwise fungus doesn't work, humans don't work, cows don't work, bacteria don't, nothing that even remotely resembles life on this planet would work. Do you understand me? Carbon is critical for the life cycle of this planet. So I don't get into, and I certainly don't buy into the hysteria of carbon. So when I groan over the next few sentences, please understand that that is why, just like a Swiss army knife, Bitcoin mining incentivized energy efficient decarbonization in many ways. Repurposing coal refuses and sustainably combusting them, utilizing natural resources to preserve key wildlife habitats, capturing methane from landfills and using that energy to mine Bitcoin creates positive economic value for the society. In fact, there are over 120,000 orphaned wells in the United States alone, which emit methane equivalent to producing 7 million to 20 million metric tons of CO2 per year and threaten lives in surrounding communities. Well, methane, you don't really want methane in the atmosphere, but guess what? Methane's pretty heavy. It doesn't really kind of get into the atmosphere, but you know, I'm sure somebody's going to yell at me for saying that. Assuming an average cost of $100,000 to plug such a well and that only 10,000 or 10% of such wells would be suitable for repurposing using Bitcoin mining, that's $1.2 billion of market. Bitcoin mining uses electrical energy and is therefore as clean as the source of the electricity. I'm glad she said it that way. However, as we integrate more intermittent renewables to the grid, the need to balance the grid increases, which could be addressed by a flexible load like Bitcoin mining and data centers in certain locations. The electrical energy used in Bitcoin mining is converted to heat. Just like the energy producers trying to monetize their excess energy with Bitcoin mining, Bitcoin miners can monetize the wasted heat by capturing and repurposing it. Here's a great example of how Bitcoin mining can incentivize waste heat recovery. In creating my market map, I have seen companies repurposing heat from Bitcoin uh, for agricultural purposes, such as greenhouse chambers to grow tulips, distill whiskey, or for heating homes. In addition to a resilient revenue model, efficient users of wasted energy and heat will be the winners. Conclusion. Due to the decentralized nature and the low barrier to entry, creative destruction is built into Bitcoin mining by design. Bitcoin miners who constantly innovate to improve operational and energy efficiency will thrive in the industry. This is, okay, that, oh, I said she, I'm sorry. This is a he. I don't mind the fact that uh, I'm using a pronoun to denote that this is a man. It's a man, baby. Now, let's go up here. Yeah, back up to trend two, software is eating the mining world. What did I have? What did I have? Uh, the price of energy and being able to efficiently capitalize on the energy demand of the grid has a huge effect on the operational profit margin. Okay, just imagine, if you will, an uh, oil and gas company, right? It, over, over the last full year minimum, right? I'm pretty sure that sometime within the last 12 months, the price of natural gas topped 10 bucks per thousand cubic feet. What is it today? I don't know. 
Let's find out. What is it today? Oh, look, it dropped 15.22% back down to $2.55. So it was, you know, months, and this is months ago. It's been on the downward side for, for the last, you know, months. But it was like, I mean, I was seeing fours and five bucks and seven bucks and then eight and then nine. And then when it hit $10.91, I think that was its peak price, according to CNBC, I was floored. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen that price before. Not in my lifetime. Well, now where are we? Well, shit, it's back to $2 and what? uh, $2.55 after a daily drop of 15.25%. Okay, so now go back and reimagine this oil and gas company who was getting into Bitcoin mining. Let's just, some generic oil and gas company. And like, I don't know, some of, uh, some of our brethren, you know, are, are, or with a, a briefcase full of orange pills walked into said company and said, I've got a solution for your low gas price problem. It doesn't cost as much on the market or you can't sell it as much on the market to be able to command the infrastructure that you would build to get it to market. Um, so let's, let's, we'll set you up with Bitcoin mining and they say, great, we can finally get rid of our $3 a thousand cubic foot gas. Oh, thank God. And you can do it on site. Oh, praise the Lord. And they're all happy. And then what happens? Everything's set up. You start, you're mining your Bitcoin. And then all of a sudden the price hits 10 bucks, a thousand cubic feet. And all of a sudden phone calls start being made and say, you know, we really need to rethink uh, this whole Bitcoin mining thing. Uh, Because at 10, at 10 bucks, a thousand, we can build a pipeline to get it to market. Now, the gas company is not stupid. They do understand that there are fluctuations, but 10 bucks for a thousand cubic feet, I mean, even if they're over five bucks a thousand cubic feet and they can keep that area under the curve for, and then for as long as possible, then all of a sudden it makes economic sense to build a pipeline. And the next person that gets called is the Bitcoin miner saying, you know what, we changed our minds. Yes, I'm sure contracts are involved. Yeah, if you're, if my lawyer is, I pay my lawyer more than you pay your lawyer. Therefore, my lawyer is probably going to win. I'm sorry, but that's American justice right now. and has been for a very long time. So contracts, whatever, they'll pay a fine. Whoop-de-doo. Next thing you know, you got all this stranded Bitcoin mining infrastructure out there in the middle of nowhere that's got to be moved. That's a lot of money. And then what happens? Another phone calls made months later. Um, hey guys, with y'all Bitcoin mining thing, can, can y'all come back out? You see how this works? You see where the real danger is here? The, this, this ability or this, this issue of not having a spine by the actual oil and gas company. So the message, the narrative that needs to be formed here is that not only can we get rid of your gas, we can stabilize the price of gas for you over long periods of time, much longer than short to medium term markets can do for you. Hence, $2.55, you know, a a thousand, all the way up to almost 11 bucks a thousand, back down to $2.55, you know, a thousand. We could have equalized all of that for you because one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin And however much energy this well provides is how much mining I can do. And our efficiencies are gained by what? Electrical generation, 
like the generators, if they get more efficient, can generate more electricity or and better efficiency on ASICs, which means that the same amount of energy can produce more hash. It's a buffer. Bitcoin is a buffer to natural gas market fluctuations. Not only can we get rid of the gas, we can stabilize its price for the producer of that price. Just something to think on while we go and run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. We got West Texas Intermediate up 0.68 of a percent, just over $80 to $80.22 per uh, barrel. Brent North Sea is up 0.15%, but it's at $85.96 a barrel. The aforementioned natural gas is down at this point, 14.66% to $2.56 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline up 0.85% to $2.77 a gallon. Gold and all the shiny metal rocks are basically down except for copper, who's the only winner. It's up a third. Gold is down scant 0.02 to $1,854.30 an ounce. Silver down 0.6. Platinum is down 0.18. Palladium down almost a full point. Ag is mixed with the biggest loser today. Rough rice 2.19% to the downside, followed by wheat 1.55% to the downside. Biggest winner is coffee. One and a third to the upside. We've got the Dow 0.2% to the upside. We've got S&P 0.4% up. NASDAQ 0.76% up. But S&P mini, ah, dragging ass, 1% to the downside. I got real money chilling out at $22,491. That is after uh, 306,000 BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 1.02 BTC and a median transaction value that is, holy smokes, really low. 0.028, no, 8.2 BTC or 185 bucks. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 22 seconds with a loss of 5% in hash rate. We are at 323.93 exahashes per second. A scant uh, 0.14 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and almost 20 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And as earlier denoted, your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, 7.5% or 7.5 United States pennies. Uh, Clark Moody's dashboard, we've got a $434.8 billion market capitalization. That is 3.52% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 12.2 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,309,850.75 of and 5,391.8 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $121.4 million being run over 16,259 Lightning Network nodes, sporting 76,122 public payment channels, and 67.9% of all that's being run over Tor. There are 34,968 transactions waiting on 46 blocks to clear. Clark Moody's still flashing a one Satoshi per V-byte minimum fee rate. I just don't think that that's applicable, guys. Uh, in fact, let's, I'm just going to do this mempool dot space. 
mempool.space. Uh, what are we flashing here? We're flashing two Satoshis per V-byte for a no priority. Okay, that's just for like, pick me up whenever you can. A uh, low priority, which means I really want to be included in a block. You really need to come get me is 31 Satoshis per V-byte. And the high priority is not too much farther along, 39 Satoshis per V-byte. So keep that in mind when doing uh, making on-chain transactions such as opening lightning channels, which everybody should be doing when when the when the mempool when mempools are mostly empty, that's when you open up your lightning channels. Already have your partners pre-selected, node stretch, and I think it's uh, Bitcoin plebs on Amboss are two groups that you can find channel partners on the Lightning Network with. So coordinate with those guys, get, you know, uh, go be a member, go start talking to them, start meeting people uh, that you want to open up lightning channels with and then coordinate, say, okay, when X happens and mempools clear and there's like this amount for high priority, you know, Satoshi's per V-byte things going on, uh, then uh, DM me and we'll open and, or at that point, I'll just open the channel you know, they'll already be expecting it. You guys coordinated. You know, it's, it's a great way to live. It really is. It's a great way to live. Get all your channels open during low fee environments. Now, what else we got? Oh, retargeting date. Uh, March 10th the uh, of this year, 2.6% rise in difficulty is projected. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. TerraWolf starts a nuclear-powered Bitcoin mining operation with nearly 8,000 rigs at Nautilus facility. Eliza Gritzi has this one for Coindesk.com. TerraWolf, I heard about this yesterday. TerraWolf has begun operations at its Nautilus crypto mine facility the first nuclear-powered Bitcoin mining facility in the United States with nearly 8,000 mining rigs online representing compute power or hash rate of about one exahash per second. The company expects to have another 8,000 rigs energized in coming weeks, bringing capacity at the Pennsylvania-based Nautilus facility to 1.9 exahashes per second by May, according to a press release. Nautilus will significantly lower TerraWolf's energy cost with the company having secured a power agreement for two cents. Wow, two cents per kilowatt hour for five years, which will bring its average energy cost down to about four cents per kilowatt hour across its two facilities. That's much lower than the United States industrial average of nine cents per kilowatt hour that the Energy Information Administration reported in December of 2022 as well as the variable rate TerraWolf pays at its New York site, which averages five cents per kilowatt hour. Pausing to say, get out of New York, TerraWolf. They're going, they're going to come after you sooner or later. Along with its mining peers, TerraWolf has struggled mightily during the crypto winter as declining Bitcoin prices teamed up with rising energy costs. The Maryland-based company had to embark on a series of cost-cutting initiatives in November and raise $10 million in new capital in December to repay some of its debt. However, both crypto and energy markets have improved somewhat in early 2023, and the mining industry is showing early signs of recovery. 
The Nautilus mine is, quote, the first behind the meter Bitcoin mining facility of its kind, directly sourcing reliable, carbon-free, and 24-7 baseload power from the 2.5 gigawatt Susquehanna nu nuclear generator station in Pennsylvania, according to TerraWolf. It's a joint venture with Texas energy producer Talon Energy, in which TerraWolf has a 25% interest. The company said Monday it expects to reach 5.5 exahashes per second of compute power by early the second quarter. Wolf's stock, however, is down 2.5% to 64 cents in recent Monday trading. Well, I guess that's, you know, sell the news or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I'm so confused with that whole buy the rumor, sell the news thing. Uh, but nuclear energy coming to Bitcoin I like, I do like nuclear energy. I do. I like oil and gas, but I also like nuclear energy. It's kind of weird. You'd think that, you'd think that I would just want one or, or the other, but I actually want both. It just makes more sense. Now, uh, BIS is back in the news. Fat man has something to say, I guess. Uh, Bank of International Settlements wraps exploration project on retail CBDC payment system. Oh, yay. Turner Wright, Cointelegraph, the Bank for International Settlements, or BIS, has reported it has concluded a project exploring international retail and remittance payments use cases for central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs, with the Central Bank of Israel, Norway, and Sweden. In a March 6 report, the BIS said that it had finished the project Icebreaker, an initiative involving the bank's innovation hub Nordic Center, testing key functions and the technological feasibility of interlinking domestic CBD systems through the Central Bank of Norway, the Bank of Israel, and Sverdrisk Bank. According to the report, the BIS concluded that a hub and spoke model between domestic payment systems could reduce settlement and counterparty risk by using coordinated payments in central bank money and complete cross-border transactions within seconds. Without a hub-and-spoke approach, each retail CBDC or RBDC systems would need to make individual specific network and infrastructure configurations to communicate with other RCBDC systems, said the report. Quote, communication between these RCBDC systems may not be standardized via a common interface and would instead be a bespoke integration between each pair of RCBDC systems. What could possibly freaking go wrong? This would not, this would be not only complex to support and maintain, but could also introduce cybersecurity risks. So of course, quote, the BIS Innovation Hub Nordic Center and the Central Bank of Israel, Norway and Sweden have concluded project icebreaker and that is BIS's actual tweet and I don't know if they've got ratioed on it or not. Everybody should ratio all of BIS and all of Greenpeace stuff when they talk about anything about Bitcoin. So anyway, the report could provide the groundwork for a cross-border payment system should the Central Bank of Israel, Norway, and Sweden move forward with issuing a digital shekel, digital kroner, and, or sorry, digital krone and digital krona respectively in October of 2022, the bank reported that a CBDC pilot involving the Central Bank of Hong Kong, Thailand, and China, and the United Arab Emirates was successful after a month-long test facilitating $22 million worth of cross-border transactions. In 2020, 
the Central Bank of the Bahamas became the first in the world to make a CBDC called the Sand Dollar available to all residents of the island nation. Other countries have been moving forward on large-scale trials of digital currency, including China. The nation's central bank reportedly distributed millions of digital yuan over the Lunar New Year holidays. Huh. Yeah, I wonder how the sand dollar is doing. If anybody out there wants to give me a boostagram and, you know, do some, uh, do the background work and see how the sand dollar is doing. This is all crap. It's all crap. Uh, the BIS, the, the IMF, the World Economic Forum, the Federal Reserve, Bank of China, European Central Bank, it's a cabal. It just is. And, oh, you're just being tinfoil hatter. You know, I think, we've, I think we're well past throwing derogatory uh, statements at people who say that all of these entities work together and basically just screw everybody in the world that is not in their little club. I think we're well past that, ladies and gentlemen. So what is, where does Bitcoin come in on all this? Well, it seems to me that there's competition heating up. These guys are so terrified of Bitcoin and they realize that there's, they don't have any mechanism to get rid of it short of shutting down the entire internet. And guess what'll happen? We'll fork Bitcoin to 300 kilobyte blocks and we'll all become ham radio operators. You watch. It'll happen if they cut off the internet. But if they were to do that, every city that has a major population will burn to the ground. Nobody wants to see that happen because that's their tax base. You don't burn all of your, your cattle stables because you got no place to go reap the harvest of your cattle. It's just, it's common sense. So now what we've got is we've got Bitcoin is scaring the piss out of these guys. So now they're like, me too. Hashtag me too. Look, CBDCs. And almost everywhere that this thing goes, nobody wants to have any part of it. They're so distrustful of all the entities that have even close to their fingers in this particular CBDC pie that they're like, no, they don't have anything to do with it. Shit, the Hong Kongers barely, barely, barely register outside of the, like a margin of error on population of how many people have adopted the, the swing and dick that is the E, what, the, the CBDC from China, the digital yuan or whatever. Nobody in Hong Kong wants it. It's, so we've got these two pipelines that are running and one is clearly corrupt and one is people's money. I don't think one or the other is going to win. And I also don't think, and when I mean win, I mean this, that there will only be one money. These people, they're like shit coiners. They will always somehow or another, their, their national currency, no matter how dumb it becomes, and it, it's already stupid, but the more and more people wake up to it, doesn't matter how dumb their fiat currency system is. They will have their own little pipeline and the people of the world will have their pipeline. And I can almost already tell you that the balance of poverty will shift from the people on the corrupt pipeline to the people on the ethical pipeline, the pipeline that is Bitcoin. And that people that have always been poor and their forefathers have been poor and their fathers and mothers before that and their fathers and mothers before that, just living in abject poverty for decades and decades and decades, the tide will turn. I can't wait for that day. 
But understand this, CBDCs are going to happen. People are going to try every possible way to get you to use that of your own free will. Don't do it. After that fails, and I believe it will, they will try to force you to do it. By that point, we have until that time to make Bitcoin very circular. We have that time to set up our BTC pay servers. We have that time to set up our lightning nodes and our Bitcoin full nodes. You have to have a Bitcoin full node to run your own lightning node, by the way. So I should have put that in reverse. We have time. Are you making use of the time that we have? We have a window of opportunity that one of these days will close. When that window closes, what does the infrastructure of Bitcoin look like? That's the question. That's all, that's all that matters right now. Because at first, they're going to ask you to use it. But then they're going to, going to force you to use it. When that happens, there's two things. One, like I said, what the question that we need to answer is, what does the infrastructure of Bitcoin circular economy look like when that window closes? And two, I hate to say it, but what, what will ensue when major governments across the world force hundreds of millions of people to use their CBDC and we know what they'll do with it. They, you will only be able to be a retailer if you're green. And if you're not, then the money that your customers want to give you will not be accepted by you and you won't have a choice about it. If, if you think that won't happen, you're wrong. You're just wrong. And it's okay to be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. I'm not wrong about this. That will happen. Remember Christine Lagarde and what she said. If humans have an escape hatch, they will use it. Bitcoin is that escape hatch. Now, <clears throat> at Northern Lightning 2023, Norway may offer the wildest Bitcoin experience yet. It's probably more of an ad than an opinion, but Eric Dale is going to say it anyway for Bitcoin Magazine. Scandinavia may not be the first region that comes to mind when you think of Bitcoin, but tiny Norway has become the biggest Bitcoin mining hub in Europe. With less than 0.07% of the world's population, the Norwegians churn out 3% of Bitcoin's global hash rate, mostly thanks to cheap, stranded, and renewable hydropower up in the north. And now, Norway is hosting the world's most Bitcoin experience. That's actually what they're calling it. They're calling it the most Bitcoin experience. Uh, Northern Lightning 2023 is the name of the conference. <clears throat> Northern Lightning 2023 will take place in Bergen, I don't know how to pronounce it. Norway from March 17th to March 19th. Guys, that's coming up pretty quick. You got about 10 days to get your tickets. Uh, let's see. And the Norwegians are going all out. Everything has been designed for and by Bitcoiners from the keynotes to the food, to the parties, to the merch. And merch will be limited to 21 numbered copies, of course. And I don't know what that means because they don't say what the merch is. Is 21 million or 21 t-shirts? Whatever. Oh, well. Our vision is to create an annual intimate experience bringing Bitcoin to a new Nordic city every year until hyper-Bitcoinization is achieved and beyond. Nice. This first edition will be a three-day Bitcoin conference in a historical setting among the dramatic scenery and wooden harbors of Bergen, headlined by the greatest minds in Bitcoin with the opportunity to orange pill 
hundreds of no-coiners at a massive party running on the Lightning Network. Hoddle did not, uh, Knutz, Fonholm, and Peter Todd are just some of the great Bitcoiners who will be joining covering topics like monetary liberation, Bitcoin adoption, and Lightning innovation. Focused on bringing Bitcoiners together and creating deep connections with minimal stage staring, whatever that means, Northern Lighting, uh, Lightning also wants to provide the purest signal anywhere. Even the DJs are Bitcoiners, y'all. A rave? Even the DJs? Well, yes. The highlight of Northern Lightning will be one of the largest AFK Bitcoin onboarding events in the world. An all-night rave with hundreds of no-coiners set to, to all use Lightning. Headlined by Norway's leading electronic artist, including... Carol Ninsky, Matiago, Kleisternik, Abedin, Thompson, Anders. Dude, there is no way I can pronounce these names. I'm assuming they all rock. They are set. It The whole thing is set to be a unique orange pilling opportunity. Uh, a lineup this good would fill any venue. So what happens when 430 no-coiners meet 200 Bitcoiners and they all need to use lightning to buy a beer? Oh, I see where this is going. With the goal of creating an unforgettable real-world experience for Bitcoin for everyone, every year, a rave running on Lightning is a perfect start. Partygoers will have the opportunity to use Lightning when buying drinks, renting towels, or buying merch, and even buying Bitcoin for cash peer-to-peer when onboarding. It's all designed to offer a little less conversation, a little more Bitcoin action, and as the for the venue, Smienlvrift is Bergen's oldest ship wharf, recently converted into a nightclub opening directly onto the fjord which will offer free welcome drinks as well as a sauna and an all-night barbecue god i wish i could go to this talk of raves may not appeal to the more family oriented but northern lighting lightning 2023 has got you and your little ones covered too my own daughter Laikushka, who is nine, is organizing the Kids Corner and Workshop, which is a space to educate young minds about Bitcoin while having lots of fun. I love when my kids make friends with other Bitcoiners' kids. They're usually brilliant too. Whether the event will make them think mommy and daddy are more or less nuts remains to be seen, but they will be welcomed every day until 10 p.m. at Northern Lightning, and it's almost sold out. Northern Lightning is less than two weeks away and passes are selling out fast. The main conference pass, including access to keynotes, workshops, dinners, meetups, and parties will sell out this weekend. That means that we're already done with that. After that, only limited passes passes will be available, but the limited passes are pretty awesome too, and you're not going to want to miss out. Bitcoin Magazine is sending a crew to cover Northern Lightning 2023. Join us in Bergen, however you pronounce it. Oh, I wish I could go. But think about it this way. You put, given the numbers that they said, it looks like it's going to be like this. It's going to be a party and there's going to be twice as many no-coiners as there are Bitcoiners, which means the Bitcoiners are going to be leveraged on to teach all the no-coiners how to buy drinks and merchandise and towels. And I guess the merchandise may include like, I don't know, all these bands, t-shirts and CDs and shit. And since they're not taking any Norwegian money whatsoever, you got to use Bitcoin and you got to use the lightning network. Think, think about, about that collision that kind of reminds me of Kerrville 
in the first beef initiative thing that we did, where when I went, I was one of the Bitcoiners and we were smashed together with a whole bunch of no coiners and ranchers. And they, we, and next thing you know, we were all great friends and we were just as interested in ranching as they were in Bitcoin. And it's, it started a whole thing. I think if you're anywhere close to this thing, you got to go. It's your, it's, if if you're for whatever reason listening to me up there in the great white north, which is actually Canada, but you know I don't know what you guys call it up there around Norway, but if you're up there and you can get to this thing and you're a Bitcoiner and you can get a ticket, you need to go. I'm just saying this thing looks like it's going to be off the freaking hook. Is that it for today? You know what? We need to make it that we need to make it that it for today. So that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Got a joke. Dad says jokes. Tesla founder Elon Musk is originally from South Africa, which is strange. You'd think he was from Mad at Gas Car. Yeah, you know, it's an Elon joke. What the hell are you going to do? Might, you know, we were talking about Elon at the top of the show. Might as well carry it over with call back to our favorite Dogecoiner, Elon Musk. Um, newpodcastapps.com, newpodcastapps.com. If you've been hearing a lot of people talk about value for value and podcasting 2.0, and you are just like, dude, shut up already. You're, they're not going to shut up already. Right? This is the way everything's moving. If you're using like a legacy, you know, podcasting app, you're in the stone age, dude. You know, I mean, I'm glad that you learned how to, you know, make fire and cook food and everything. But honestly, it's time to move on. Podcast, newpodcastapps.com, newpodcastapps.com will give you a whole bunch of links to podcasting apps that you can use on your desktop. You can use them on your iPhone. There's a whole bunch for Android. They got you covered. And all, you know, the, the podcasting apps for podcasting 2.0 come with a lightning wallet and you can fill them with Satoshis and then you can stream those Satoshis to me, your favorite podcaster, David Bennett and the Bitcoin ad podcast. And that way you kind of, you help the show because it's like, not only do I need help being in the top 10, I need help making this thing a thing that makes money. Other people do it. I think I should be able to do it too. And I haven't taken on advertisers because I really, really am, I'm kind of all in on podcasting 2.0. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't. It just means that I keep delaying even trying to go after, like I won't even, I haven't even emailed like Rodolfo Novak to see if Cold Card might sponsor the show. He's not going to just call me out of the blue and say, wow, I really want to give you money. Please shill my product to cold card. He's not going to do that. That's not the way this works. I have to go after them and I haven't because I really want to see podcasting 2.0 completely replace the need for advertisers. And that way, if I want to shill Novak's cold card product, which I happily use a lot, then I can, and I can do it all by myself. And that way, you know that it's not because I'm getting any money out of it. You know, I'm telling you this because it's a good product. It's rock solid and it's built by somebody who's paranoid about security. That's the guy who I want building 
the shit that I use to lock my Bitcoin up in cold storage for years. That's what I'm talking about, right? You know that I'm not telling you this because Rodolfo's giving me money. He's not. Hell, I don't even think the guy knows who, who I am. But I love his product just the same. I want to be able to bring you that product, but I want to be able to do it in an honest way. And I think this is the most honest way that I could bring it to you. I'd tell you about Swan Bitcoin. I use them too. Could tell you about River Financial. I use them too. I could tell you about all kinds of stuff. But I kind of don't want to do it by reaching out to them and saying, hey, support the show and I'll show your product because there's just, it's not that there's something nasty about it. It's the model that we've been operating under on for years. Under, uh, we've been operating under for years, but it's time to change. And the way we change that is with value for value. If you think you're getting value out of this show, then you can fund me directly and you don't have to do it through Patreon. I don't have to run a Kickstarter. You can just use a podcasting 2.0 app from newpodcastapps.com and you can subscribe to the show. You can listen to the episodes. You can stream me Satoshi's or better yet, give me a boostagram, announce the birth of your child and you know, announce that you're getting married. I love it, you know, being part of somebody else's, you know, life in just the smallest way. And they say, you know, I want to announce my, you know, betrothal to my beloved. And then you send me a boostagram that that I read that out. I literally become kind of part of your life, a tiny one, but I was there. There's nothing else can do this. Only podcasting 2.0 can do this. So go to pod, newpodcastapps.com. Go get yourself a non-Stone Age compliant, you know, podcast app and do the thing. And let me bring you value for your value. Well, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.